Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. We ask through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are brought to greater faith and greater love in Christ Jesus through your word. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in our third week of our series, The Joy of Our Lord. The Joy of the Lord is Our Strength from the book of Nehemiah. In the first week, we saw that Nehemiah was a man of prayer, of great prayer. And he had a warm, compassionate heart for the Jews who were in Jerusalem and in distress. And then the second week, we saw that he was a man of great faith. Faith that moved him not just to action, but to wait upon the Lord, to ask for what he needed. To also realize that he was dealing with opposition. Now those first two weeks were, it was just amazing. I don't know about you, but it was amazing to see how relevant those two messages were. How the book of Nehemiah is relevant to this day. And this one especially is relevant because it deals with opposition. You see, in today's world... There's greater outright opposition to Christianity than any time that I've experienced in my life. Have you experienced that as well? You see that around? It is great, great opposition. And the world pretty much wants us to be quiet. Yes, you can practice your faith, you Christians, as long as you're in private as long as you don't talk about it in the public square. You see, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are here to proclaim the gospel. We are here to be a light to the world. This is what it says from the gospel of Matthew. You are a light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You and I, we are to be the light of Christ Jesus. But when you are the light of Christ Jesus and He is working through you, you should expect opposition. When you move out in your faith, you should expect opposition. Now, I know most people don't like to hear about opposition or this word conflict. I mean, I know very few people, very few people who actually enjoy conflict. There are a couple. But most of us would rather back off, right? We'd rather be quiet walk away from that. We'd rather not deal with that. So the question is, how do we stand strong in our faith, right? This is it. How do we stand strong in our faith, but not get hard and bitter? How do we stand firm, but still have the love of Christ Jesus in our hearts, rather than acting like the rest of the world? And so today, we're going to take a look at external and internal opposition from the book of Nehemiah. 
And this message is a little bit different than others, is that it's going to be a little bit sweeping in nature. So we're going to take a look at perspectives that you should have as a follower of Christ Jesus, and then some things you can actually do dealing with both external and internal opposition. Oh, sounds fun, right? Well, let's talk about conflict. Okay. You should see your faces right now. Let's deal with external opposition first. So, this is verse 1, and I'm going to go through 3. Now, when Sanballat heard that they were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged and jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned out ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside himself, and he said, Yes, what, what they are building, if a fox goes on it, he will break down their stone wall. So, a lot of external opposition to Christianity, to Christians, is going to take the form of insults or ridicule. We talked about this a little bit last week. That ridicule replaces reason. When people don't have a good reason, they just use ridicule instead. And it is the primary weapon. Ridicule, insults, is the primary weapon of those who oppose the work of God. It is designed to be an emotional attack on those people and break them down. Now, you've heard the saying, sticks and stones won't break my, bo- uh, break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, it's true that words never physically hurt, right? I mean, they can't break your bones, but come on, let's be real. They sting, don't they? And they do break you down, and certain words are no fun, and that's why people use them. They use them to hurt you. Think of, and this is really sad, but think of all the online bullying that goes on, especially among young women. I mean, it's vicious. But you also think about the young folks who have committed suicide because of the words that have been used against them. So, yes, words do hurt. Words do make an effect. Now, before we go this in this further, I want to make sure that we have the proper perspective about dealing with or not returning in kind those harsh words. Because you and I, as followers of Christ Jesus, you and I are called to a higher calling. Okay? You and I are called to a higher calling calling. As followers of Jesus, we need to be watchful of our speech and not fall in the trap of fighting back with the same thing that they are using. Ephesians, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Notice it doesn't say don't let 
most of corrupting talk come out? It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it might give grace to those who hear. As followers of Christ Jesus, we are to walk in the wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to, you ought to answer each person. This is the calling to which you and I are called. And that last one was from Colossians. Okay, so now let's go to the book of Nehemiah. And what were they doing? They were jeering at them. How many people use that word jeer in a sentence lately? Last decade? I mean, we don't use it, right? So another word is heckled. They heckled them. They called them feeble. They said their building materials were rubbish. They said they they were so bad at building a wall that the slightest touch would make it fall down. If a fox goes on it, he will break it down, break down their stone wall. Okay, I read that and I kind of go, eh, <laughs> doesn't sound like much of an insult to me. But there's a divide. There's a cultural divide from back then, and there's also that time divide, right? These were meant as nasty, nasty insults. It was meant to get under their skin. Okay, let's try some of the ones in modern day times that are given towards Christians, people who stand for the gospel. Christians, by the world's standards, are hateful. They're bigots. They're backwards. They're fundamentalists. They're Bible thumpers. They're homophobic. They're transphobic. You know, by the way, when I type, I don't, I type, I can type fast, just a lot of mistakes. And when I typed transphobic, I misspelled it. Spell check corrected it. Because now transphobic is a word. You see, people, they get dressed up. Have you seen this on the news? They get dressed up as handmaidens. You probably have seen that. And that they say that we are oppressing women, and that they will say that you are, you might be pro-birth, but you're certainly not pro-life, and they will shout you down and simply yell, shame, 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 shame. You've seen these things on the news, right? And you've even seen that people have said there will be a night of rage. What is rage? Rage is the extreme of ridicule. It is pent-up emotion without reason. There's, there's a reason that we call, call rage, often call rage blind rage, because there is, because reasoning is left behind. I'm going to read it here. Rage is often called blind rage because reasoning is left behind. And when people are enraged, there's often little reasoning with such people because they fight against what is obvious. They have to fight with rage against what is obvious to everyone else. And I'm going to tell you from a perspective that you might not have, 
What is obvious to everyone is that God exists, that he has created us, that he has designed us, and that we are to follow him and his word. And so they rage against God. Now, I don't have to be a psychologist to understand that. I don't have to be a sociologist to understand that. Actually, all you have to do is go back to your Bible and read the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, starting with verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God, or give thanks to him because their futile be, be, sorry for although they knew God they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened claiming to be wise they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creatures rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. You see, when I see what is happening in the world, I am not shocked. As a pastor, who deals with the brokenness of the world, I am not shocked at all. God has said what it is like for those who reject Him. And if you are mocked or insulted for being a follower of Jesus, you're in the right company. You're in the right company. For what did they do with Christ Jesus on the cross. This is what it says from Gospel of Luke. And the people stood by, watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself! There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. See, they thought Jesus to be an utter fool. And to be on the cross, to be a savior on the cross, was utter foolishness. But God used what the world thought to be utter foolishness to save the world. From 1 Corinthians, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, and even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. So, if you are mocked or insulted or put upon or ostracized because you say, I follow Christ Jesus and His gospel, Know that you are in good company. Paul himself said, I am a fool for Christ. So if somebody mocks you or insults you or or does something, a little backhanded something, you can say, 
thank you. I'm a fool for Christ. And they won't know how to respond, by the way. Thank you. I am a fool for Christ. You should be such a fool too. Okay. That's the larger perspective. Now, how do we deal with some of those external opposition? The first thing is, and I've already alluded to this, is that you don't take the bait. It's real. <laughs> it's really easy to get sucked in, isn't it? And want to give back in kind what you are receiving to get that pound of flesh, right? But you and I are called to a higher calling. And we aren't to take vengeance. Who is to take vengeance? God. He is to take vengeance. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. For it is written, vengeance is vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So rather than setting our sights, our minds, our hearts on giving back in kind, we need to set our hearts, our minds, our soul first and foremost on God and His perspective. See, when people jeer at you, And now today, you can use that word jeer in a sentence. Just go ahead. Have a little fun. When people jeer at you, they heckle you or something. Know that it's not you. Unless you're being a jerk, by the way, right? Don't be a Christian jerk, okay? Don't do that. Don't give them a reason for jeering at you. Got it? I got to put that in there. But know that they are actually rejecting God. And when they ridicule and jeer and taunt Christians, it's ultimately towards Christ that they are doing it. Thus, the gospel reading, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Isn't that strange? He says, look, if you're actually getting insults because you're standing for Christ Jesus, you're not being a jerk, but you're actually standing for Christ Jesus and His work, rejoice in that when you receive that. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Nehemiah does not take the bait. He has the mind of God in hand. And then he also prays. He says this, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Now, that seems a little harsh, doesn't it? But if you actually go through the Psalms, you find prayers like that. You find prayers that ask God to intervene. I mean, if you take a look at his prayer, and you look then at Christ Jesus, who said you are to love your enemies and pray for them, how can we reconcile this? 
because you and I, through the cross of Christ Jesus, are called to love our enemies, which is really hard, right? Because we'd rather do a pound of flesh instead. We are to love our enemies and actually win them to Christ Jesus, to bring them to faith. One commentator put it like this. He said, Christians are under the new covenant and are admonished to love our enemies and to make it our primary concern to lead a wicked world to faith and forgiveness through the message of the cross. Nevertheless, God's people can ask him to judge injustice and thwart the plans of those who would hinder God's work. We pray things like that every week here. We have prayed for people who are persecuting our brothers and sisters in Christ to repent, right? We're asking God to intervene to thwart what they are doing. Notice this is not for vengeance. We are not praying for our own vengeance. Because some people will want to say, God, will you just wipe out all the sinners on the earth? Well, that includes you too. Right? It's not a prayer you should pray. (laughs) But you do ask God to intervene. You do ask God to thwart people who are standing in the way of his kingdom. So what did Nehemiah do? He prayed. And then what did he do? He went back to work. It says this. And by the way, when they went back to work, they received threats. Verse 7, But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. So notice the first thing, he prays again. And you got to pray when it's good. You got to pray when it's bad, when it's ugly. You got to pray when you don't feel like praying. And sometimes you have to pray until you actually pray. Okay? So he prayed. But the next thing they did was to arm themselves and set guards. What they did was prudent. They were being prudent against opposition. As we recall last week, if you were here, faith is neither naive or in despair. So they set up guards. They armed themselves for defense. Notice that it is for defense. It is not for attacking. And this is a distinction. You see, self-defense involves preserving one's own health and life when it is threatened by actions. Self-defense is not about taking vengeance. Self-defense is not being a vigilante and going out and doing harm to other people. Self-defense is not about starting a riot. Wouldn't that be a Christ, an oxymoron, a Christian riot? That should be an oxymoron in your head. Nor is it about overthrowing governments or toppling those who are in power. 
Now, if you think I'm trying to be political here, I'm not at all. I'm trying to be biblical here. Because I know there are strong feelings on both sides of this issue regarding guns. Let's just say guns, right? And people will come to me and say, well, pastor, I feel this way, or I think this. And it's like, well, what does the Word of God say? Really, if you want to have a conversation, don't start with your opinions or your thoughts first. Go to the Word of God and do an in-depth study on the Word of God. I think it's really easy to say that we can defend ourselves. I don't think there should be an issue with that at all. But again, it is self-defense, right? It's not going out and attacking other people. Okay, I probably made enough people uncomfortable on both sides of the issue, right? There you go. Welcome to being a preacher. But the overriding point here is that they were not naive about the reality of the situation. They were prudent. Okay, so that deals with external opposition. Let's go with internal opposition. It says this, in Judah Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. So when we talk about opposition from the inside, there's a couple different ways you could think about this. One is you could have opposition within a church body, which says we need to take down those who are in power, in leadership, and replace them with the leaders that we want. Or we want to tear down certain doctrine of this church though founded on Scripture, and want to build doctrine of our own liking that suits what we want. Now, we've seen, actually, churches crumble and fall and denominations crumble and fall because of that kind of opposition. But that's not what we're talking about here today. Because an internal opposition that we're talking about today is something that every one of us experiences. It is this. It is discouragement and fear. Believe it or not, these are often the greatest opposition. In the reading from today, it says that the strength of those who bear the burden is failing. There's too much work. We can't do it ourselves. You know, people often say, God will never give you more than you can handle. I want you to find a verse in the Bible that it supports that. You can't find it. Because God will give you more than you can handle. When God calls you in faith to a task, that task is often larger than you can handle by yourselves. When you're called in faith, God's going to give you a task and it's going to be more than you can handle it yourselves. And when you finally realize that, what do you do? You drop to your knees in prayer. 
because you know by yourself you can't do it. That you will fail by yourself. And thus you turn to the Lord in prayer. The proverb, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Wow. When God calls you to a task, you start to learn that proverb really fast. And the thing is, the some of the tasks that you are called to take a long, long time. And sometimes it doesn't even come to fruition in your lifetime. Think about that for a moment. Some of the best work that you're going to do for the kingdom of God won't even happen in your lifetime. And the word that comes to mind is yowzer. It is not a technical or theological term, but I was like, really? It's not going to happen in my lifetime. How can that be? Because when you share the gospel with someone else and they are saved and you see them in heaven, you're going to rejoice because that's actually the best work ever. And they will have shared that gospel with somebody else, somebody you didn't even know. And they'll be there, and you will rejoice because that's the best work that any of us could ever, ever do. You see, you have to have a long-term view with God in mind. Not your view, but God's view. Isaiah chapter 55, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, declares, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So we trust God and his word. So what did Nehemiah do? Dealing with fear, discouragement of the people, he pointed them to the great and awesome God whom we serve. He said, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Remember. And we began our series with that song, Our God is an Awesome God. And you need not be afraid. That's often the resounding call that God gives to all of his people. Do not be afraid. Fear not. Fear not. It is a message that we've come back to again and again, especially during this time of COVID and the pandemic and everything that's been happening in our country. Fear not. Fear not. Genesis chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. 
I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Isaiah 40, go up high in a mountain. O Zion, herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. And Isaiah 43, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. For I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. Fear not, brothers and sisters in Christ. Stand firm. Look to the cross of Christ. Because in the cross of Christ, you know that you are forgiven. Completely, you are forgiven. Look to the empty tomb, because in the empty tomb declares the, li- the promise of life and life everlasting, that death is not the final answer. Look to his ascension. He sits at the right hand of God, making intercessions for you, and the promise is that he will come again. Look to Christ Jesus. Fear not. Know of his great love for you and the promises that he has for you. Fear not, brothers and sisters in Christ, and know that you are not alone. Look around for a moment. Just look around. See the other people. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. These are the ones standing together with you who are there to help you in need in times of trouble to help shore you up when you need shoring up. You are not alone. And I am so grateful for all of you. So today, when you move out in faith, you should expect opposition from without. Come to the Lord in prayer. Be prudent too. Faith is neither naive nor is it afraid. And expect times of discouragement and fear. Here we need to trust in the Lord to fix your eyes upon Jesus and know that you are not alone. And all the people said, Amen.